Extra Daily Planet Extra. everybody, welcome to episode 13 of Man of Screen Extra. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and on this episode I'm going to talk about what went on at San Diego Comic Con on the weekend of uh, July 19th through the 23rd. We got some interesting tidbits from the world of Superman. There's quite a bit to talk about re- with regard to the uh, DC Extended Universe live-action uh, franchises, and there's also some uh, on-screen animation talk regarding the Man of Steel. I'm going to talk a lot about the uh, Justice League trailer and uh, what's ahead for the... Uh, DCEU, some things I like, and uh, one thing that kind of stands out to me that I don't like that you can probably expect a little bit of a rant on, even if uh, said rant is premature with the Justice League movie uh, about four or so months away. And then I'll, you know, I'll talk a little bit about what I saw on the TV end, especially with regard to Supergirl. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about animation. And uh, I'm not sure how much of this I'm going to go into, but DC Animation is going to be uh, adapting the death and return of Superman into, from what I hear, two films. One will be the death of Superman, and the other will be the reign of the Superman, as they appeared in DC Comics, you know, the story that took place from late 1992 until the summer of of 93. But before I get to all of that, I have some feedback to address. I have a email here from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on the last episode of Man of Screen Extra in which I talked about Wonder Woman with uh, Bob Fisher, Scott McGregor, and Aaron Henley. Greetings, Mike and friends. Thanks for this episode. I have been on the fence about whether to see Wonder Woman, but having seen some good reviews and especially having seen on Facebook, praise for this movie from so many of my favorite podcasters, I decided I wanted to see it. Even my wife, who is by no means a superhero fan, wanted to see it. We went to see it the Sunday of its second weekend, and the theater was pretty full, and with pretty much all ages represented. Like Bob Fisher, I had pretty much avoided as much of the advanced publicity leaks and spoilers as possible, other than that first trailer so I could view it on its own merits, with relatively few preconceptions. Overall, I enjoyed the movie quite a lot. The casting was excellent, from Gal Gadot to Chris Pine to Robin Wright and Connie Nielsen to the guys playing Steve Trevor's team even to the girl who played young Diana on Themyscira. Every role was well cast, and every actor did a fine job. I must especially note that Gal Gadot got exactly the right balance for Diana, with a mix of confidence as a warrior and as a scholar, and I even tell you as someone unfamiliar with, but curious about, the outside world. I think she also did an excellent job showing a growing awareness of both the good and evil in that world. I was certainly impressed by Patty Jenkins' direction. The pacing was just, was just about perfect. The tones of Themyscira versus London versus the War Zone, etc. were each well done and well contrasted with each other. There were things I was not expecting to like before seeing the movie, simply based on my own view of the character of Wonder Woman and what I'd seen from the trailer. I was skeptical about the setting in World War One rather than World War Two, but was won over when I watched the movie. I am old school about the character of Wonder Woman, so I am not used to seeing her with a sword or shield. I grew up with a Wonder Woman whose only defensive weapon was her bracelets, and whose only offensive weapon, if you can even call it that, was her lasso of truth. But again, the movie won me over. I'm not at all a fan of 
of the concept of superheroes who kill, so the idea that her purpose and mission was to kill Ares didn't entirely sit well with me, and I'm still not 100% on board with that part, but I do get the in-story reasoning. I just don't love it. On that line, even accepting that she was going to kill Ares, I wish that right before she struck the final blow, she hadn't said, I believe in love. She really shouldn't say that just before killing her brother. They're both Zeus's children, after all. Overall, I like the movie quite a bit. If forced to give it a grade, I might say B. I'm a retired teacher, and I was never known as an easy grader. But more likely an incomplete right now. There was one extremely important unanswered question, which I assume will be dealt with in a future movie. What exactly has she been doing in the century between World War I and the present? Did she return to Themyscira? When she left, her mother told her, If you leave, you may never return. Does that may mean might? Or does it mean she has no permission? If she stayed on the outside world, did she sit out World War II? Did she ignore the Holocaust? Has she worked for equal rights? At the conclusion of the movie, we can only, dare I say, wonder. It was fun listening to all of you discuss the movie, and I'm looking forward to hearing more Man of Screen extras. Let me, once again, put in a request that you do one about the Iron Giant. You've said that you haven't seen it, but I really think you'd like it. I always tell people it's the best Superman movie ever made that doesn't actually have Superman in it. Live long and prosper. Dave McElvenny. Well, first and foremost, I'd like to thank you, Dave, for your feedback. And there are a couple of things in Dave's letter that I want to address. Most of his letter was covered when uh, Bob, Scott, Aaron, and I talked uh, last month. The only thing I really want to address is the uh, his skepticism about seeing her in World War One rather than World War Two. I just, I can only say what I like about seeing her in World War One is that for those of us who have seen Batman v Superman. I'm not sure if all of you have, so this will be a slight spoiler for the end of BVS, that she did say she walked away for 100 years. I'm not sure what that means. There was really nothing in the movie that showed me she was planning to walk away. But I will say that she was horrified that man was capable of such actions, basically without any quote-unquote interference from Ares. They're pretty much capable of all the horrible things they've done of themselves, so... I can only imagine how offensive something like World War One might have been to her, and then to see it get worse in World War Two Could have been more that she could bear. I don't know. So, Like I said, we're going to have to see if a future Wonder Woman movie deals with that. The rumor is, as of right now, and I'm recording this on July 22nd, that Jeff Johns is writing the script with input from Patty Jenkins. There is talk that it's going to be, I believe, in the 80s, kind of a Cold War type thing, which... I don't know. They probably avoided World War II because of Captain America First Avenger. But this movie drew those comparisons anyway. You know, it was basically the same format, the present day bookends and the period piece war story in the beginning. And personally, I would prefer to see kind of Diana's story evolve beyond the events of Justice League in the present and not kind of not monkey around in the past too much. But, you know, that's just me. And uh, you talked a little bit about the uh, Diana's killing of Ares. And you know what? Ares and Zeus and all them, they're all gods. So can they really be killed? I don't know. Maybe they can. Is Hippolyta's comment that the gods are dead, is that to be taken literally? Or maybe they've just gone away. I don't know. But I will address the I believe in love statement. There was a recent Wonder Woman story written by Greg Rucka. It's part of the Rebirth line and basically diana was on this mission and basically she defeated her opponents by saying i love you and they kind of just melted away and uh, the, the situation was resolved so there is some modern day current comics that support the way things went in the movie but other than whether she killed Ares or not i don't know they're gods that can always be brought back so now i also want to you know talk a little bit about uh Dave's questions about what she did during the 100 years, and uh, 
you know, if she didn't act publicly as Wonder Woman, and, you know, it doesn't make a ton of sense that she would. The way I see it right now is that she kind of only did this one thing for a couple of days during World War One, and what she did was basically reduced to stories. So she could have been just a rumor that nobody was really able to substantiate. I can imagine that perhaps she laid low, didn't function, you know, as quote-unquote Wonder Woman, and maybe she did some work behind the scenes. Maybe she, you know, maybe she worked for equal equal rights. Maybe she tried to do something low-key about the Holocaust. Maybe she didn't outright fight World War II, and I'm personally not a fan of superheroes who fight in the war. Especially when you're dealing with real stuff. I do feel as though to have superheroes participate and even affect the outcome of historical events, even if the outcome isn't changed, to me that kind of cheapens the efforts of the people who actually did fight these battles and su- and die for these principles in the real life. So I have never been a fan of fictional characters, especially superhero characters. Obviously, if if you're telling a war story about somebody who was in the Civil War or something or World War Two, you know, yeah. But to put superheroes with all their power in such a human conflict like that especially a real one, to me that minimizes the importance of the actual event. And that was why I wasn't really a fan of Diana killing a character that was basically an historical figure. An historical figure in in our world should, in the DCEU, a character who existed in our world should suffer the same fate. You know, General Lufendorf was not killed by Wonder Woman in our reality, so he really shouldn't in there. I'd, I'd much rather her fight all fictional characters than fight a real one. I feel like I'm rambling at this point, so I will just move on. And you mentioned the return to Themyscira, possibly, that when she left, her mother told her that if you leave, you may never return. I'm also going to go back to, you know, I honestly, I haven't read the George Perez run from the 80s. I read some of it. I read the first seven issues, but not much more than that. So I don't remember the details exactly, so I can only remember what I've read in Rebirth as the New 52 didn't really cover this too much. But when she left Themyscira with Steve, as soon as she left, she could not return. So, And the way the story played out was, once she left Themyscira, she could never locate it again. But whether that translates directly to the movie, I don't know. I mean, May, perhaps, uh, when Hippolyta says that, she's worried about Diana being killed in Man's World. Or, you know... Nobody knows exactly how the field that obscures Themyscira from view works. Nobody knows exactly why, as it wasn't explained in the movie, why the Germans were able to penetrate the barrier. One theory I heard, and I don't know if I mentioned this on Man of Screen Extra number 12, is that, I may have heard, heard this after we recorded it, is that when Diana clapped the bracelets together during training, sending off that shockwave, that woke up Ares, and that's what allowed Steve's plane to pierce the barrier and land on Themyscira. You know, that claim is neither confirmed or denied in the film it's merely speculation on my part and i wish i remember who said that but anyway that's uh, neither here nor there so i'm not really a ton interested in what happened to diana during those 100 years obviously i'm gonna go see the movie even if they do another period piece but i'd rather see her story advance from justice league into her own movie and beyond i wouldn't mind though seeing some batman period pieces because it just seems as though after the events of Batman v Superman after Justice League, it seems like a lot of Batman story has already been told. But again, that's something to discuss at another time. And, uh, you know, as far as uh, Dave's wondering about certain things, yep, we can only wonder. And I'll be honest, Dave, it's no wonder you wonder. You're a pretty wonderful listener. And uh, to finish up Dave's letter, he mentions that he is going to again put in his request that I 
cover the Iron Giant. The letter says, I had mentioned that I had never seen it before. I have seen it since the last time I mentioned this to Dave, and I really did like it. And I'll put that on the agenda for our Man of Screen Extra down the road uh, sometime before the movie falls off Netflix. So that will come at some point. I really couldn't tell you when yet, aside from this Comic-Con episode that I'm trying to get out now because it's timely. I'm kind of hip-deep in getting the the new Adventures of Superman stuff ready for the main show when it comes back from a hiatus in September. So, I'd like to thank Dave for his letter. You can uh, write in your, send in your feedback, just like Dave did, manascreen at gmail.com. For now, I'm going to take a quick break and play a podcast promo. Then I'm going to come back and talk a little bit about Justice League and the DC Extended Universe. Hang around, folks. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's Superman Superman Movie Movie Minute. Minute. Chris Franklin and Rob Kelly take you on a journey through time and space, examining five minutes at a time, the greatest superhero movie of all time, 1978's Superman. Coming soon to a podcast network near you. You'll believe five minutes can fly. Swell. Weekend, Diana. Me? Huh. Nothing very interesting. The world remains in mourning after the death of the Superman. And where is the Gotham Bat? The mass vigilante has been a no-show. They said the age of heroes would never come again. It has to. any more time something is coming no protectors here where one's biggest concerns were exploding wind-up penguins. This is crazy. Honestly, I think we're all gonna die. Each of us, in some way, is held back. Don't engage alone. We'll do this together. It's really cool. You guys seem ready to do battle and stuff, but I've never done battle. Push some people and run away. Ah! 
works, Alfred. I'll take it from here. Uh, d do I know you? Superman was a beacon to the world. He didn't just save people. He made them see the best parts of themselves. All right. I don't recognize this world. We don't have to recognize him. We just have to save it. How many of you are there? Not enough. Do you really think that... Oh, wow, they just, they really just vanish. Huh? Oh, that's rude. You said you'd come. Now let's hope you're not too late. All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about in this episode is the Justice League uh, extended trailer that was released at San Diego Comic-Con. And ironically, today, that is the second Justice League trailer I've seen. I saw the kind of, let's call it the uh, in the character trailer in front of Spider-Man Homecoming earlier today. And now I've seen this uh, four-minute extended uh, trailer that, you know, it looks good. It moved the needle slightly for, slightly toward anticipation for me, if you remember. Well, I don't think I actually said this on a podcast, but if you're a member of the Facebook group, you might have seen me post it there that the last trailer, the one that introduced all of the characters, really didn't move the needle for me at all during the, as far as my anticipation for the film went. This one, you know, moved it a little more toward anticipation. I'm still cautiously optimistic about this film. Obviously, the DCEU is riding a high at the moment after the success of Wonder Woman, both critically and financially. But, you know, it still has some of the stigma. The previous three films, Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, were both uh, very divisive. Probably Batman v Superman more. And Suicide Squad was, while a lot of people recognized it was a mess, a lot of people also enjoyed it, despite uh, many of its shortcomings. Now, so, Wonder Woman was, was really the first DCEU film that really garnered both critical and financial success. And even now, as some of the dust is settling, there are people out there who are ready to pronounce Wonder Woman a fluke and uh, start piling on Justice League already four months from release. Maybe because it's a Zack Snyder movie, I don't know. I mean, obviously Zack Snyder suffered a uh, huge personal tragedy in his life with the suicide of his daughter Autumn back in March. And Joss Whedon has stepped in to finish the film. Whedon will be directing the upcoming Batgirl feature for DC Films. We'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. But whatever the reason, you know, after uh, the Zack Snyder trilogy, so to speak, was Man of Steel, BVS, and Justice League. And Justice League was really suffering from some of the negative feelings regarding Batman v Superman. And rightly so, they're the same filmmaker, but... What, I'm, what I saw in that trailer made me a little more optimistic. My, I still feel as though Justice League is going to rise and fall based on the 
way the return of Superman is handled. Batman v Superman really showed us, uh, especially in Bruce Wayne's dreams, showed us uh, kind of injustice Superman, you know, burning people alive with his heat vision and all that. I really have no interest in evil Superman being resurrected and becoming a threat. There are people who have been upset by the fact that there has been very little Superman shown in the promotion for the upcoming Justice League film. But I am of the position that I really don't want to see any Superman before the film comes out. For good or ill, I would rather see him in the film for the first time. Look, let's call a spade a spade here. We know that Superman is going to come back to life. You know, nobody ever really shied away from that. But the success of the Justice League film is going to hinge on how Superman's return is handled. So, one of my fears of this movie is that if it's successful, and I seriously hope that it is successful, that Zack Snyder gets, you know, at the very least, some of the credit. You know, there are a lot of fanboys out there who hate Zack Snyder almost as much as they hate Michael Bay. And especially with a beloved director like Joss Whedon coming on to help out, I'm concerned that if the movie is good, Whedon will get most of the credit while Snyder is kind of left to be the DCEU whipping boy. Love or hate his films, this is still a Zack Snyder movie. And if the movie is good, he definitely deserves the accolades that would go with that. You know, he's been working on this film for years. Whedon worked on it for a few months. There's not going to be enough time for him to make wholesale changes. So, there's that. I still believe this is going to be a Zack Snyder film and not necessarily a Joss Whedon film. Joss Whedon, in this case, is, for all intents and purposes, a substitute teacher. And to give him undue credit if the movie is good would be unfair. And obviously, if the movie is horrible and gets another 27% on Rotten Tomatoes like Suicide Squad did, I'm sure Joss Whedon will be totally innocent of any wrongdoing. He is a Teflon filmmaker by uh, many of the fanboys. So, with that being said, I'm going to you know, talk a little bit about the trailer. It starts off with Wonder Woman taking care of some kind of attack on a building somewhere. And whatever the attack is, she foils it. And uh, we see her doing her work at her museum. And, you know, the shots are, you know, very daytime. You know, one of the criticisms of Batman v Superman was that everything kind of took place at night. And you can't see color and things like that. You know, very superficial, you know, things. So, here. Here, fanboys. You've got a daytime fight. It's a little hard to have stuff going on in the daytime with Batman around. Just take a look at Dark Knight Rises, where Batman kind of marching down the street in the daytime. It just doesn't work. And then there are some rep- some random shots. There are reports of, uh, you hear some radio reports or TV of uh, how the world is still mourning the death of Superman. It's unclear how long after BVS this movie takes place. Even Suicide Squad felt like it was very soon after the events of Batman v Superman. So... If the world is still in mourning of Superman, then not as much time has passed in, D- in the DCEU as passed in real life. So so there is that. The, uh, apparently crime is rising, whether or not this has anything to do with our main protagonist, or if it's just because of the death of Superman, I don't know. But crime is up. Batman's been a no-show, according to one report. So my guess is, well, while he's been a no-show is when he is out uh, doing his uh, recruitment drive. He's got a full beard when he goes to look for Aquaman, so it's clear that uh, Bruce Wayne has been on the road for some time after the events of BVS. Whether he... The Amazons will be back, and we get our first look at, of Aquaman under the water. It looks, you know, very nice looking shot, and I guess they filmed that in a tank or something. I don't know. I don't exactly know how these things work, but I do like the shot of Aquaman swimming. It looks very graceful. Yeah, you, you get a look at Cyborg. 
and he, you know, he looks pretty accurate to his comic book uh, look. You know, you know, I am personally not the biggest fan of Cyborg being in the Justice League, but this is the kind of thing that's been around now for six years since the advent of the New Fifty Two in twenty eleven. So I guess at some point I'm just gonna have to get over the Martian Manhunter not being there. And we got one interesting shot of Bruce Wayne looking at what appears to be. I don't know if it's some kind of image, or if he, or if it's in a tank or something, but it looks like some kind of image of a figure with red boots and a red cape. I would think it's Superman. The leg doesn't look completely right, but it's the closest thing to Superman we've seen in any of these trailers, and I don't know what to make of it. It could be his leg in the bottom of his cape. I don't know. And we get some more looks at the Flash. A really cool shot of him putting his, vibrating his finger through some glass and breaking it. You get a bunch of Steppenwolf breaking stuff. You know, he's uh, speechifying. When uh, he's talking, he does make a reference to Green Lanterns during the trailer. Steppenwolf does, and he mentions that the Earth has no protectors, no lanterns or Kryptonians. And when he says Kryptonian, is when we see the image uh, of Bruce Wayne looking at in some shape or form of what appears to be Superman. Apparently Steppenwolf is going to have an army of parademons. And we get a bunch of action shots. There's definitely going to be a lot of action in this film. One of the things I'm really liking, you know, is that, you know, it's not all Batman here. Wonder Woman is taking uh, front and center too. And clearly, from what we see in the trailer, the Flash is kind of new at this. As he mentions, he's never seen combat before. You know, having a character like Cyborg is helpful because you, uh, he can hack into just about anything. <laughs> he has an interesting uh, discussion with line to do with Alfred. He says he'll take care of it. But Alfred doesn't know if he's known knows him. But, you know, lots of action. And I really have very few complaints about the trailer. It's mostly uh, an action piece with some dialogue over it. And you do get to see a shot of at least four of them standing in front of a building looking at it. So I wonder if that could be them looking at the Hall of Justice or something. The only one missing is Batman. Aquaman continues to look good despite his... Uh, unconventional look and you know like i said I, i'm ezra miller as the flash is growing on me the suit is still weird but i like his exuberance in the role and i enjoyed watching miller during the panel now the end of this trailer is very interesting as alfred is working alone you kind of see his drink uh kind of vibrate like the for those of you who've seen jurassic park in 1993 the ripples in the cup that signified the t-rex coming you kind of see something similar here and Alfred says, here, I'll just play the clip for you. You said you'd come. Now let's hope you're not too late. Now, I'm not sure if Alfred said he said you'd come or if he said you said you'd come. So I'll, you'll have to kind of listen to that and see what you think. But I will say this. If you watch the trailer at the very beginning, as it zooms in on Alfred in that moment, the corner of the screen is red. And obviously, Alfred says he hopes he's not too late. So, I believe that's Superman. And Gal Gadot said, basically said, if you're a fan of Superman, you'll be happy with the movie. I hope so. You know, a lot of us Superman fans have been rather skeptical of the film because, you know, look, he's our guy. And we haven't exactly been thrilled with the way he's been betrayed in the first few DCEU films. So, I'd love to see him come back gloriously. And... That's pretty much all I've got on, on the trailer. You know, you know, it didn't move the needle much. I'm going to be there when this film comes out either way. But gave me a little bit more hope for November 17th when this film comes out. Now, obviously, there's been some other turmoil in the DCEU. Because, let's face it, when isn't there turmoil in the DCEU? One of the rumors that have been hitting the, uh, the mill lately 
is that Warner Brothers is trying to find a way to phase out Ben Affleck as Batman. And I can't speak to the veracity of those rumors, but I can play the Ben Affleck's response to those rumors from the Justice League panel at Comic-Con. Ben, uh, there have been some stories in the past day or so, and they just kind of want to know, you know. I know, let me be very clear. I am the luckiest guy in the world. Batman is the coolest fucking part in any universe. DC, Marvel, it's incredible. And, uh, you know, I, I'm so thrilled to do it. I know this is a misconception because I didn't direct it, but maybe I wasn't enthusiastic about it. It's fucking amazing. And, and I still can't believe it after two films we have this history with this great studio and, you know, Kevin Sujihara and Sue Kroll and Toby Emmerich have said to me, we want you to be our Batman. And, you know, um, I, I believe him. And with Matt Reeves, doing it, it's like, I would be a fucking ape on the ground for Matt Reeves, never mind being Batman, it's incredible. So I'm, I'm really blown away and excited, and, and it's a great time in the DC universe. Uh, you're gonna see some stuff from Justice League that we're really, really proud of, and I think you'll see why I'm so excited to be Batman. Excellent, thank you. Don't believe the hype. I can't speak to Ben Affleck's mindset, obviously. I can only go by what he says, and... He says he's planning to continue with Batman and that he loves Matt Reeves and will do anything for him. You know, I mean, obviously some of the rumors have developed, you know, because, you know, at first Affleck was directing the Batman film and then he was working on a script with Jeff Johns and then he wasn't directing the film and now Matt Reeves is starting with a new script. So that's probably where the rumors came from. One of the quotes from Affleck was that he wasn't sure he could do the best job in all those positions for the film. And these films are huge undertakings. This is not a low-budget Star Trek film. And let's face it, Leonard Nimoy was barely in Star Trek Three when he directed it. So to ask someone to direct, write, and star in a film of this magnitude could be too much. And now, if, he, if his mindset is basically what Affleck is saying it is, all he has to worry about is performance. He can let somebody else worry about everything else. Just because he can direct doesn't mean he should. And Affleck was offered superhero movies in the past, I believe. I believe he was, and I could be wrong about this, so feel free to correct me if I am. He was offered to direct Man of Steel before Zack Snyder came aboard, and he basically said that he turned it down because he was afraid he couldn't. He didn't believe he could do it. While people have liked his directing, I don't believe Ben Affleck has directed anything to the scope of a summer superhero blockbuster while matt reeves is having success right now with the planet of the apes films my only question is with a name like reeves why isn't he directing a superman movie but more on that later so that's some of my thoughts on the on the trailer for justice league i thought it was it was a good trailer it was entertaining i liked what i saw whether that translates into a good movie we'll have to wait till november to see now some other things that were announced with regarding the DCEU slate at Comic-Con, there were eight films were officially announced. There will be, uh, they have announced uh, Suicide Squad 2, The Batman, Shazam, Justice League Dark, which is the magical characters, your John Constantine and people like that. And we, they've also announced Wonder Woman 2, Green Lantern Corp, and Batgirl, which is Joss Whedon. There seems to be no sign of uh, the Gotham City Sirens film that 
David Ayer is allegedly working on. That has not been officially announced here. The Shazam film is going to be directed by David F. Sandberg, who recently made a film called Annabelle Creation. He is planning to put the film before cameras in January or February, and that could put it on course for 2019. And for years we've been hearing that uh, Dwayne Johnson is listed to play Black Adam. However, the director has said that Black Adam will not be in the film, so which is... Okay, because I assume it's going to be an origin story. Not Most people don't know the origin of Captain Marvel or Shazam or whatever he's going to be called. I'm not sure what the uh, legalities around the Captain Marvel name are. I know they can't use it as a title, but, but either way, that's probably going to be an origin film. And I'm kind of glad that he's not going to be taking on somebody else who has the wizard's power. We already saw, you know, we see Iron Man fight the Iron Monger in his story, we, in his origin story. We saw the Hulk fight the abomination you know we we're seeing all kinds of characters fighting characters like them so it'll be nice to not see uh, shazam fight another doppelganger type villain so that's coming out pretty soon another film that's kind of going into production or on, at the very least on the fast track is that batgirl is going to begin production under joss whedon in 2018 so there's that and you know joss whedon has shown that he is you know, very uh, good with the uh, with the female lead. So I'm expecting good things out of Joss Whedon's Batgirl film. And obviously the Batman film is still going to be there. So eventually, and obviously we knew that the Green Lantern Corps film was going to be there. They were talking about Justice League Dark Forever. And here's something interesting. The Flash film, which is already looking for its third director. Uh, rumor is uh, the studio is currently looking at... Uh, either on the shortlist to direct the film are Robert Zemeckis and Matthew Vaughn, but they are not confirmed. They're just kind of on the studio wish list at the moment, and there's really no other information on Flashpoint, but this is interesting. You know, it seems a little early in the game to do Flashpoint, which for those of you who have read the comics know that it's kind of how the DCEU became New 52, the basic story, and spoiler if you haven't read it, skip ahead a little bit and we'll get past this. Basically, Barry goes back in time, saves his mother from being murdered by the reverse Flash, and that causes a whole bunch of problems. And it really screws up time, and he has to fix it. But it didn't fix perfectly, and it became the New 52 Earth, as opposed to post-Infinite Crisis comics. Earth. Very confusing, and it bends reality a little bit. And when I had first heard about Flashpoint, I mean, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen down the line with Ben Affleck. He says he's staying, but for how long is unclear. I mean, he's about 45-ish now, clearly the oldest of the Justice League heroes. And I always kind of felt it was a mistake. Not that it was necessarily a mistake to hire Affleck for the job, but a mistake to hire somebody older who didn't have as much of a shelf life. So if something happens and it does kind of become time for Affleck to walk away, maybe the... uh, time-bending nature of Flashpoint is a way to, as seamlessly as you can, switch out actors. Maybe make him younger or something, and just kind of shift his career into the timeline with the others. I don't know, but if the studio wants to do any kind of retconning, then that would probably be the time. And Flashpoint would be a way to do it. You know, I enjoyed Flashpoint as a story. You know, it's kind of like Crisis on Infinite Earth in, in the sense, although I'm not putting Flashpoint in nearly the same class as Crisis. Crisis was a much more intricate story, much more detailed, and just much more epic than Flashpoint was. But 
it's debated now as we sit here 30 some odd years later is did crisis on infinite earths do what it was intended to do did it it doesn't seem to have streamlined the dc universe as much as the powers that be at the time were hoping and flashpoint while an enjoyable enough story didn't really do that either you know it kind of but i don't blame the stories themselves for what happened later you know it is not the fault of the writers of crisis on infinite earths that dc didn't have its crap together after the fact the same thing for flashpoint i don't fault jeff johns well maybe i should fault jeff johns a little bit because he's one of the higher mucky mucks of dc comics so maybe he is to blame for what came later but i don't know bottom line i didn't mind the flashpoint story if they're going to do it in live action i'd rather see it done well the tv series used the title and a little bit of the concept but really screwed the pooch with regards to the flashpoint storyline i don't know if that actually made any sense but basically my point about flashpoint is if you're going to do any kind of retconning flashpoint is a good way to do that now there's one movie i didn't mention there was no mention here of man of steel 2 and that's kind of disappointing now there's been rumblings about man of steel 2 for the past for several months you know some script writer who tends to work with Matthew Vaughn, actually, of all people, mentioned that a script may have been written or something like that. I don't know if that was speculation or what, but No Man of Steel 2 has been confirmed. That's kind of a bummer. Obviously, <laughs> Superman is still dead as far as the DCEU goes. He won't be alive again until after Justice League, so maybe they're waiting until Superman is brought back from the dead to release any information regarding Man of Steel 2. Or a standalone Superman movie. But I, I, I seriously doubt it's going to be called Man of Steel 2. But, so that's kind of all I've got to say about the movies. Let's take a quick break. We'll play a podcast promo. And then I'm going to come back and talk a little bit about the animated movies, The Death and Return of Superman. Hang around, folks. My name is Bob Fisher. And I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it, from 1938 to the present day. From the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com All right, welcome back, folks. And uh, one of the biggest announcements with regard to Superman in animation came from DC is that Warner Brothers Animation is going to release a two-part film, well, the first of which will be released in 2018, The Death of Superman. And it'll be followed up in 2019 with The Reign of the Superman. And this is interesting because if you remember way back when and DC started making these original animated films, the first film they did was Superman Doomsday, which basically, I mean, obviously it changed the story a great deal. You can't fit the death and return of Superman into a 75-minute film. It just doesn't work. But it did maintain some of the ideas. And I'm going to cover this well down the road on the Man of Screen podcast. But for those of you who haven't seen seen Superman Doomsday, or for those of you who have, spoiler warning on a 10-year-old film, is that it dealt with the death of Superman at the hands of Doomsday, and when he died, there was a fake Superman, and he came back to life. So it had the some of the trappings 
of the death and return of Superman, but it was, for the most part, an original film because the story was completely different. This looks like it's going to be a little uh, more faithful to the original source material. Now, obviously, it is the this is the third of three projects that were announced that, as far as the animated film animated films go, uh, the first of which was Gotham by Gaslight and Suicide Squad Held to Pay, which is going to be part of the DC Universe original movies shared continuity with. Uh, Justice League War, Throne of Atlantis, Justice League vs. Teen Titans, and all and all of them. So I know very little about how the Death of Superman is going to be. It's probably not going to be involved with that continuity. I mean, it wouldn't be awful if it was, wouldn't have. But I'm guessing they're going, as some of these films have done, they're going to adapt the comic and probably the art style of the time. Which means we're probably going to see a Superman with drunks. So... I'm sure people are excited about that. I'm to the point where, you know, we've been so long without the trunks, it would be weird to see them again in a new production. But that's neither here nor there. I am excited to see this. My main concern is really the meat of the death and return of the death and return of Superman story is the funeral for a friend stuff. You know, not necessarily the theft of Superman's body and, and all that kind of stuff, but the first half of that story really covered, most of the funeral for a friend storyline really covered what Superman meant to the world. And that was really the story the writers wanted to tell. Obviously, you needed Superman to die to get to that point. So here, hence the first act, Doomsday. But And then I've, then you tell your main story, which is basically the world of that Superman stuff, the funeral for a friend story. And then, you know, your third act is the reign of the Superman and the, re- the eventual return of Superman. Now, the funeral stuff would almost seem anticlimactic after... The death of Superman, so I'm not sure how that stuff is going to be dealt with. But even the reign of the Superman is such a huge story that obviously stuff is going to be left out, even if they're promising to reveal have the four Superman like the comic did, and the eventual return of Superman down the line. So I am interested to see how that's going to going to turn out. The death of Superman was an important story in Superman's history. Though you know, a lot of people say it broke death in comics, but I don't know. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. If this didn't, something else probably would have. So, it's neither here nor there. It was, a hu- like I said, a huge event in Superman's publishing history to the point where, you know, just last year it was reenacted on film with Batman v Superman, with Superman dying at the hands of Doomsday in that film. So, obviously the best iteration of that story is always the original. That was about when I started reading comics full-time. I always had a few comics kind of laying around the house in the late 80s growing up. But it was like the early 90s, maybe 1991 or early 92 when I started getting into the comics and started my collection. And as I recall, when I started buying comics full time, I believe the first comic I bought off on the day it was released was Superman 74. So here we are, part three of Doomsday, and that's the start of my Superman collecting. And I've recently started selling off my books because I'm kind of tired of carrying them around from place to place every time I move, so, and plus I have everything I want on digital, so, keeping the paper copies don't appeal to me as much anymore, but really, you know, the death of Superman was my gateway into comics as a regular collector, and really my gateway into the DC universe as a whole, so, that story and that event will always be rather special to me and important to me, it's a milestone for me. Is my Superman fandom as strong as it is today without that story? I don't know, I couldn't tell you. So I am excited to see what they're going to do with that story down the line. 
And honestly, Superman has been enjoying a high right now in the comics with the with Rebirth. And DC Animation, it's time to get more Superman out there. Just find a way to get rid of that ridiculous animation costume based on the new 52 design. I don't like it. That's about all I've got to say about nothing else really grabbed me at Comic-Con. I saw the trailer for Supergirl, which seemed like it's going in a somewhat dark direction for what was originally such a peppy show. A show that was very silver age. It looks like it might be going to uh, some dark places. And I guess Adrian Pazdar is done on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because he's going to be showing up on Supergirl. That's something to look forward to, you know. That's another Superman-related item on the screen. You know, my thoughts on the way Superman has been portrayed in that show are well-documented on several Man of Screen Extra episodes. So there's no reason to rehash those here. So that's about all I've got. If you've got any feedback, you can email me at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over at the Facebook group. Just put Man of Screen Podcast into your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. And if you like what you hear or don't like what you hear, leave me a review on iTunes. That'll help others find the show. I have no immediate plans for the next episode of Man of Screen Extra. Stay tuned to the Facebook group and Twitter for more information. So, until next time, have a good one, folks. I'll see you next time. Bye. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo. And all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra so you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com and you can also leave the show review on itunes that will help others find the show thank you for listening to the man of screen podcast